Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Welcome back. Another hour of Overnight America. Up until midnight tonight. And we're going to be welcoming our friend Rich Rubino in, in the next couple of segments. And Rich Rubino is so good at what he does. He really is. We're going to talk to him about a wild political question that was brought up last week between Donald Trump, Mike Pence, and Nancy Pelosi. Why was Grover Cleveland trending? Uh, what about non-consecutive terms? How many presidents lost and then tried to rerun for election in the future? And that may have something to do with the mentioned uh, trend from Twitter earlier. And we'll talk about a transition, what goes on during that time in impeachment. Uh, another thought about the impeachment process after Donald Trump is out of office. So all of those things with Richard Bino coming up in the next segment. And if you missed it too, we do have a podcast we post up. It's called Overnight America. You can find it right there, Overnight America, and find it wherever you get your podcasts at Two things about the coronavirus I wanted to bring up. The director for the World Health Organization said it's not right to vaccinate young before old. So set a priority. And they're saying that the priority is definitely make sure you get uh, adults in there. Higher risk. They definitely need to be a priority. Uh, elderly, particularly, you need to start working on the ones that would have the most likely uh, difficult chance to shake the coronavirus the younger you are, the normally statistically speaking, better chances you have in order to try to defeat the virus if you contract it. Sometimes you don't even show symptoms. You can be asymptomatic, not even realize you have it. So when it comes to the different doses that are out there, they're talking about the 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 next step here in Missouri. And by the way, the World Health Organization's right priority definitely needs to go to those high risk and also frontline workers first period. No question about it. In fact, since I have two kids now, I don't even know when a it would be offered to them and B when we'd feel comfortable giving it to them, considering they're at such a low risk. I don't even know when me as someone that is relatively healthy, at the age of 37 would be offered. And when I would be able to get that, who knows? I just don't know when that's going to happen. It says Missouri will begin vaccinating individuals in phase one B tier two which will include high-risk populations and anyone who's older than the age of 65. That's what the next one is. So the first tier prioritized vaccinating those who work to keep Missouri safe. 
emergency workers, things like that, frontline workers, emergency management, first responders, emergency sector, uh, hospitals, things like that. So here are the different thresholds of people that would be eligible next. Anyone over the age of 65. So that's a opens up a big opportunity for a lot of people listening tonight. Uh, I do know my demographics. Don't worry. I am awesome, by the way. If you're over the age of 80, I am just number one in your heart. I found that out whenever we look at the uh, statistics for the radio station. Uh, adults with the following conditions. Here, if you have these conditions, if you're living in Missouri, this, is, uh, this would open it up for you to be able to qualify to get a vaccine. Uh, cancer, chronic kidney disease, COPD, intellectual or developmental disability, that includes uh, Down syndrome, heart conditions, weakened immune system due to an organ transplant, severe obesity, which is qualified your BMI is above 40, uh, pregnancy, sickle cell disease, type 2 diabetes. That includes about 2.5 million people, 40% of Missouri's population would be up next for that tier. And if you wanted to, you can go online. You can actually see some of the future tiers and how to get your name on a waiting list in order to get called in. We've had people call into the show and already talk about the process, how easy it was to go in, get a time, get a date. You show up, wait in line, get the shot, get the card, show up in the next time and you'd be done. It makes me wonder what is going to be available once the tiers start to get to us, at least me, uh, where I'm sitting at. I wonder how many other ones will be out there. Johnson and Johnson, you know, what's it going to take to get theirs as opposed to Pfizer or Moderna? And there were some other ones, AstraZeneca and some new ones that should be getting approved here pretty soon that are right around the corner. And if you have four to choose from, how do you even know? Do you even have an option? I mean, they don't give you an option, do they? Do you just show up and they say, okay, here's what we got and this is what you're getting? For me, um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. And luckily, the ones that have received it so far, and there's been a lot of doses that have been administered, 39 million doses have been administered, I think, around the world so far. And uh, part of that is that you're starting to see that the side effects are extremely minimal. I mean, low, 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 low. So all of the trials that they ran in all of the different um, tests, it seemed to be holding up the clinical trials seem to be holding up. It seems to be on par with what they were expecting and probably even a little bit better. Now, the long term is still a question mark for a lot of people. I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen long term with the coronavirus, the effects that it has on your body, your lungs, anything, your nervous system, all of that. No one knows. Big question mark. We hope that everything will be safe and we pray that everything will be safe. But everything we know right now, this is the absolute best thing we could be doing for ourselves, period. And really no question about it. All right. When we come back, Richard Bino is joining us. He's the author of American Politics on the Rocks. And there was a wild political question that I threw out to him. So unlikely wild that I think you're going to listen to it and you're you're going to wonder who thought of this. That's up next on Overnight America KMOX. And he's the author of American Politics on the Rocks. Also, you can find his work on politic-geek.com. Rich Rubino, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Ryan? Doing good. It's another wild week. Every week's a oh, wild yes. week. Not as wild as the last time we spoke, but still a wild week nonetheless. <laughs> the week is the week is young. I <laughs> know the week is young. <laughs> uh, you know, last week on Thursday we had someone call in and he said, "What if this happens?" And I thought, "What? This may be the wildest 
political scenario I have ever heard in my life. And I had to oh. immediately message you on Facebook. Yes. I was so good. Uh, I was so crazed at looking at this thing. So let me um, reiterate what the political theory was. So the person said, what if Donald Trump decides to resign? That would mean Mike Pence would then take the office of the presidency. Mike Pence could then pardon Donald Trump. And before there is a successor named Pence could also resign, which would then propel Nancy Pelosi into the White House. And there's a couple of reasons why you'd want to do that. One, she would have to give up her role as the uh, Speaker of the House. And then she would then vacate that to become president for a day. And then when her term ends as presidency, she would be out of politics because she would be out of that White House office. And someone said that would be a great way to get get her out. (laughs) Trump pardon. And what a wild, wild progression that would be. And I thought, wow, that is quite the mental gymnastics. So I had to message you. And I thought, is that even possible? Okay, so here's just a little misapprehension thing. So essentially, what happens if a vice so under the Twenty Fifth Amendment, if a vice president, if a president resigns, or a president is impeached and convicted, or a president is disabled, or a president dies, whatever happens, the vice president assumes the presidency. So the vice president becomes president even before he's inaugurated. You know, you see that you see that we all see Lyndon Johnson in the plane being inaugurated as president, but that was really just for show. He technically he was already president, and any decision would essentially come to him. So the president assumes the assumes so the vice president assumes the vice the presidency, meaning there is no vice president. There is no vice president until a Senate confirms another one. Now, with Mike Pence, if Mike Pence then resigns, it's true the Speaker of the House would assume the would automatically assume the presidency. Now, here's the thing: so Nancy Pelosi is a member of the United States House of Representatives, representing the 12th district congressional district of California, basically San Francisco. So. Theoretically, a member of the House of Representatives could not also be president because you cannot serve in two. You cannot serve in two in two different branches: the executive and the legislative. So Nancy Pelosi would assume the presidency, but she, to do that, she would have to resign her congressional seat. So if she resigns her congressional seat, even if it's just for one day, then what happens is the seat is vacated. And then Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, would have to declare a special election, unlike the United States Senate and the Senate, like we just saw with Senator Harris. Senator Harris resigned today. Um, Governor Newsom appointed a replacement. In the House, the, the governor does not have that power. The governor is not omnipotent in that respect, so the governor instead declares a special election. So essentially the seat would be – so let's say, let's say Mike Pence and Trump both resign today. Pelosi becomes president. So – She's no longer a member of the United States Congress. Unless she decides she does not want to be president, wants to stay in the House, then it would go to the Senate pro temp. In this case, that would be Chuck Grassley, the um, senator from Iowa, who's 89 years old, who may not want to resign his seat. So then it would go to the cabinet, and then theoretically it would go down to um, the secretary of state taking over. But let me get back to this. So the mental gymnastics here. So (laughs) Pelosi gives up her seat. For one day, then the special election, she runs in that election, and she'd be a shoo-in, and essentially you'd have a former president um, running for a congressional seat and being and being reelected to that congressional seat. Now the question is, well, does that mean, okay, well, in the meantime, she has to give up her role as speaker, right? And there, that, no. Well, there'd be an interim speaker for a day, essentially probably Steny Hoyer from Maryland. But you got to remember the Constitution, there is nothing in the Constitution, no stipulation that says that a Speaker of the House has to be a member of the body. So you see this sometimes when, when Nancy Pelosi is up for re-election as Speaker, sometimes there'll be a conservative Democrat who will vote for somebody else. Jim Cooper from Tennessee, for example, voted for Colin Powell. 
Colin Powell has never been a member of the House, but theoretically, if Colin Powell got the requisite 218 votes, he could become Speaker of the House. You don't have to be a member. So what would happen is, after Joe Biden becomes president on the 20th, the House would then convene, and they would have another election for the Speaker, and Nancy Pelosi could then serve as Speaker of the House while not being a member of the body, <laughs> while also running for re-election to her seat, which she'd be a shoo-in for. So then she, when, she became, when she became a member of the body again, she would just be, it would just be a, she would then have the, um, she would then have the duties of being a congressman from, woman from San Francisco, but also Speaker of the House. But here's the other thing. So if she does resign, my question is, does that mean what happens to her staff? What happens mm. to her congressional staff? Now, if you're an executive branch, executive branch, executive functions have to be filled immediately. That's why you have an acting somebody. The Secretary of State resigns today. The acting Secretary of State immediately assumes that assumes those duties. And the in the legislative branch, it's a little bit different because you see this all the time. A legislate a congressman will die. A congressman, you, for example, Cedric Richmond is taking going to take a job in the administration from New Orleans of the Joe Biden administration. So essentially, for a few months, the seat is going to be open. The governor of Louisiana declares a, declares a special election. And in the meantime, all of this constituent service stuff, all that goes usually to the House clerk. Sometimes members of the staff will stay on. So my question is, can the members of the staff then you know, essentially serve in the legislative branch when there's no congresswoman who's now in the executive branch? My guess is they probably could. but So the answer is it's unrealistic. <laughs> it's like a Twilight it Zone. Do you want me to repeat that? Yeah, it would, <laughs> it would make back. for a great episode or uh, of some sort of television show or miniseries or better yet, a uh, book. I love the premise, the idea that someone thought of that, number one. And it's fascinating, too, because I didn't realize if you are a member of Congress. So if let's just say hypothetically, Mike uh, Donald Trump steps down. Could Mike Pence officially say, no, I don't want to be the president? Could he decline that? He could resign it. Um, he could he, resign I mean, before he becomes it. Well, he no, he automatically becomes it because the okay. twenty under the so prior to twenty fifth amendment, when so prior we so, when Lyndon Johnson assumed the presidency in nineteen sixty three, there was no vice president. So mm-hmm. that day, actually, the day Lyndon Johnson assumed, actually, I guess it will be the next day, he assumed his the assumed the presidency. He was coming back from Texas. He went to his home in Virginia, and a Secret Service agent was not expecting him. So the Secret Service agent went up with a gun, thinking it was an intruder, put the gun to his face, and then found out it was Lyndon Johnson. Oh. Now, if that was if that if Lyndon Johnson that day had actually been assassinated, and it was this close to that actually happening, remember this is the day, the night of the day that Kennedy was assassinated. Essentially, John McCormick at the time there was no vice president, so John McCormick, who was seventy-two years old, uh, would have become president of the United States if he declined it. Carl Hayden, the senator from Arizona, the Senate pro tempore, who was 86 years old, would have assumed the presidency. But you essentially you do assume the vice president will assume the presidency. Now, he can immediately, as soon as he does that, he can sign. What you do is you sign a letter to the, to the secretary of state. It's the only time a president's ever resigned, Richard Nixon. He signed his letter to secretary of state, Henry Kissinger, saying that he resigned. So, but, the, but during that, I guess during that interim, if there was an attack or something like that, and during before he resigned, Mike Pence would be the person who would be responsible for the nuclear codes. 
<laughs> wow. All right. This is uh, wild. And I love wild thoughts like that, mostly because it's you wonder you wonder if a it's even possible and b what would happen if something like that were to go down. But think think of it this way, too. I guess if the person was kind of rooting that on, then you have Speaker of the House Pelosi with all of the intel briefings the president of the United States would receive. So now you have even more power to Pelosi if, if the idea was to try to to try to, like, get rid of her. If this was the giant plot. Oh, no, it wouldn't work. She'd come back stronger. So well, the other thing, uh, too, you, yeah. I just going to say, you got to remember, if Nancy Pelosi and this would be this is not going to happen. But if Nancy Pelosi does say she becomes president, she says, you know what? I don't want to be speaker anymore. I don't want to serve in my seat. What happens? Steny Hoyer, um, the Senate, the House Majority Leader, who is very close to Pelosi ideologically, he would essentially become speaker and have essentially the same policies. Wow. Rich Rubino joining us. American Politics on the Rocks is the name of his book. You can look up online at politi-geek.com. And I saw on Twitter today, Grover Cleveland was oh, trending. Yeah. And his name was on the list when President Trump put this... Um, I don't know if it was a declaration or a uh, he put something together. It was the National Garden of American Heroes. And the idea yeah. is to set up a national garden and there would be these statues. And he had a recommendation list. It was like close to 250 names. Grover Cleveland being one of them. And people started talking about Grover Cleveland. Why would he include Grover Cleveland? <laughs> Why is that name on there? Because, I mean, you look at some of the other names on the list and I can just I can look at it like George Washington's on there and, you know, William Alexander Taft. Graham Bell. Yeah. Taft is on there. <laughs> Louis Armstrong, Neil Armstrong, Muhammad Ali, Ulysses S. Grant, Walt Disney, Truman's on there. Norman Schwarzkopf. I mean, there's a, a ton of people that are on this list. I think and it's wide ranging. There. It's, you know, it's politicians, it's uh, authors, it's civil rights leaders, abolitionists. It's, I mean, a whole gambit of people that you can think of that had influence on American history. So people were wondering, why would he put Grover Cleveland on there? And they had an answer to it. They think it's because he may try to run for re-election. Yes. Snooki didn't yeah. get in there, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, what ha so the reason Grover Cleveland is significant is so there have been three presidents who were incumbents who lost re-election, then, re then tried to come back. Millard Fillmore was elected. He was actually elected as vice president with uh, Zachary Taylor in 1848. Zachary Taylor dies in 1850. Fillmore assumes the presidency, loses re-election in 1852, tries to come back. Um, he had been a Whig in 1856 with the party basically dissolving. He runs again with the so-called American Party or the Know-Nothing Party, the anti-immigrant party, runs for president, wins 23%, the, wins one state, the state of Maryland, um, and then and, but, but, and wins only the state of Maryland. By the way, prior to that, Millard, uh, Martin Van Buren, who lost re-election in 1840, came back as a Democrat, came, left the Democratic Party over slavery. He was basically an abolitionist. The Democratic Party was not. 1848, he runs the Free Soil Party, garners about 10.1% of the vote, loses the election. By the way, his vice presidential running mate, was John Quincy Adams's son. Oh. And John Quincy Adams's son was also the person who established the first presidential library in 1870 for his father, John Adams. Oh, John Quincy Adams. Yeah. So, in 18, so it does work out for Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland runs for re-election. So he gets elected, by the way, in 1884, runs for re-election in 1888, loses to Benjamin Harrison, but actually wins the popular vote. But Benjamin Harrison wins the, um, wins in the Electoral College. The day that the Clevelands are leaving, uh, Francis Folsom Cleveland tells the staff, keep the place nice for us because we'll be back in four years. 
Now, it was a mm-hmm. humiliating day, humiliating day, ignominious day for Grover Cleveland because it's raining for Benjamin Harrison's inauguration. Grover Cleveland literally has to stand up there and hold the umbrella um, protecting Benjamin Harrison, the person who had beaten him from the rain. So oh, wow. what happens? In 1892, Grover Cleveland, he, gets, he has some grievances against Benjamin Harrison, um, in part because Grover Cleveland was, unlike Donald Trump, he was a free trader. Harrison was actually close to Trump because Harrison was an economic nationalist, and Harrison had signed the McKinley tariff. He had signed other tariffs, and Cleveland finds a causes bailout to run himself again in 1892. He has a challenge that year from David Hill. David Hill was actually his lieutenant governor when he was governor, and when Grover Cleveland assumed the presidency, um, he, the, this was the person who was kind of his protege, assumed the governorship, um, assumed the governorship after um, Grover Cleveland's. They were allies, and they had a falling out. They ran against each other, so Cleveland did not have a free did not have free sailing. But he won that nomination. He beat David Hill, and then landed up beating Benjamin Harrison uh, in the presidential election which turned out to be an absolutely awful term for him, by the way. There was a panic of 1893, Great Depression, huge unemployment. Grover Cleveland becomes extremely unpopular, does not run again in 1896. The party shifts to William Jennings Bryan. Cleveland had been a very conservative Democrat. William Jennings Bryan becomes the uh, presidential nominee in, in 1896. And Grover Cleveland does not even endorse him. Instead, he endorses John M. Palmer, a 79-year-old senator from Illinois, who's the, who's the nominee of the so-called National Democratic Party, which only lasted for two elections. You know, I'm starting to realize that Rocky may have been based loosely on Grover Cleveland. First he loses, then he makes his way back in a rematch. So could it oh, be yes. possible that's where they get that storyline? <laughs> Probably oh, there, not. It's, it's interesting because you talk about McKinley. There are some people, and it's, it's actually been somewhat debunked as mendacious, but they thought that the um, Wizard of Oz was based on uh, the 1896 presidential election between McKinley and Bryan, but there really has not been much evidence for that. I love things like that. So that's the connection to Grover Cleveland. Possibly, maybe. I think some people are looking into it that way. Uh, I kind of like the idea that this is a side storyline, but I also don't like the idea that people are trying to decode things like this because that's how we get like QAnon stuff. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. like essentially. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> do you mind holding on after the break? I'd love to talk sure. to you more about the transition and also the inauguration, which is coming up, but uh, impeachment, the possibility of that. So uh, Richard Bino joins us. American politics on the rocks. Plita-geek.com is where you can find him online. And Rich, by the way, if people wanted to look for you on social media, what's the best place to go and what should they search? Yep, either go to Twitter and type in Rich Rubino, P-O-L, or just go to Facebook and type in Rich Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O. Perfect. And we'll continue with Rich next on Overnight America, KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. We're going to see a transition of power on Wednesday when Joe Biden is inaugurated, becoming the 46th president of the United States. Joining us now is Rich Rubino, author of American Politics on the Rocks, polita-geek.com. Rich, I tell you, this is one of the most popular segments we have all week. People love you. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> you have lots of fans here in St. Louis. So with that, there's going to be a transition. What exactly goes down on Wednesday? Do you know? Uh, I think there's actually going to be inauguration. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> my understanding so, is, at least this is what I've heard. It's been below the fold, so I haven't heard that much. There hasn't been that much coverage <laughs> of it. But my understanding is that Joe Biden is going to be inaugurated as the next president. But I'm going to have to look a little bit further in to find that out. Yeah. No, so I'm, does uh, Donald Trump wake up and he puts on his shoes and he says, well, I uh, see you later, White House, and uh, says goodbye and that's it? Or does he actually get some business done? Uh, theoretically, there's pro- there, theoretically, presidents have actually done things in the last day in office. In Bill Clinton's case, back in 2001, he actually, the president at the time, delivered a radio address, so he delivered a national ra- his national radio address, um, and then he actually denounced it because he had said during, he had said at the high water, low water mark for him of the impeachment that he was going to work to the last day, uh, the last hour in, the, uh, in his office. So he, as a result, he signed a he signed an order. Providing 100 million dollars um, in um, for 100 million dollars to local police forces to say that he was essentially doing that. Um, other things, you know, the Department of Labor was established the last day of the administration of uh, William Howard Taft, for example. Lots of times you have pardons that occur on the last day in office. In uh, in Bill Clinton's case, you had Susan McDougal, the uh, Whitewater partner. That was supposed to be this huge controversy, but then it landed up kind of being submerged in the other pardon of um, of Mark Rich. Uh, some presidents and can actually have cabinet meetings. In Andrew Johnson's case, back in 1869, he did not like Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant did not like him. Uh, Grant had actually had actually advocated for Johnson's impeachment for violating the Tenure of Office Act. So Johnson literally, instead of going to the inauguration, stayed in and had a cabinet meeting, which was kind of pointless because the cabinet couldn't really give him much recommendation because he wouldn't be president after that. But um, so that's one thing that happens on the last day. Usually, what happens is. They have a is that the president and the the incoming president and the outgoing president get together. They have tea and then they drive over um, to the they drive over to the Capitol for the swearing in. The last time they did not have tea was 1953. Eisenhower and Truman they had a um, very contentious relationship in part because Truman was very good friends with George Marshall, the Secretary of State, um, author of the so-called Marshall Plan. And Dwight Eisenhower did not condemn uh, Joseph McCarthy, the senator from Wisconsin, when McCarthy made the recommendation that Marshall might somehow be in coordination with the communists. So they had a very, very poor relation. So Eisenhower literally sat in the car while the Trumans, um, while the Trumans uh, had, had tea with Mamie Eisenhower. Then they went out, went into the car, and then during the car ride, uh, Eisenhower started talking to Truman about the fact that, he, that Truman had ordered uh, him in an order that Eisenhower's son... David Eisenhower be uh, Eisenhower's son be um, be allowed to stay in the United States and come home to watch his president's inauguration. Eisenhower said, "Well, isn't this going to make isn't this aren't people going to look at this and say that I have some sort of favoritism?" Then Truman said, "Oh, they did. You just say that the president of the United States had made this order." So he was literally speaking himself in the third person. So he had a very contentious relationship, but of course later in life they actually had a better relationship. Probably the one who was most active though was Jimmy Carter, 1981. Um, you had the Iran hostage crisis, and tr- he was in the last days working with Warren, Warren Christopher to, to negotiate the Alders Accord. Essentially, the United States agreed not to interfere in Iranian affairs. In return, the Iranians agreed to release the 52 hostages, but they didn't do it officially until Jimmy Carter was no longer president. Ronald Reagan became president, and then Ronald Reagan actually sent Jimmy Carter an airplane so he could go over and he could literally greet the hostages. That was probably the most active person on the last day of office. Wow. And I'm just trying to look at the 
gaps in time, and it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. When you said Bill Clinton in 2001, you think of Bill Clinton as a strictly 90s type of president, but you forget because of the term ending in 2001, he served after 2000. So technically speaking, that would be like uh, the distance between us and Bill Clinton's last day in office is like Bill Clinton's last day in office and Jimmy Carter's last day in office, who Jimmy Carter is still alive. It's amazing if you think that's the type of time gap we're dealing with. And it seems like it just happened yesterday, you know, and, you know, 2000 seems like it just happened yesterday. But it's a big distance of time that have changed between then and now. Um, Just I don't know why I'm trying to wrap my head around that. It just doesn't seem right. But somehow it is. it is. It's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely. And think Jimmy Carter was somebody who worked under Admiral Rickover when he was in the Navy. Oh, man. Jimmy Carter. Um, man, he, I, it's hard to believe he's been retired for 40 years. <laughs> That's hard to believe, too. So I wanted to talk about uh, second impeachment. And I think there's some question of what happens if they actually hand the articles over. Some people wondered if, uh, you know, and there's even a plea. I think James Comey said, hey, uh, Joe Biden, you should consider pardoning Donald Trump to show that this is all done and over and we got more important things to do. And there's some other questions about impeachment after a person is out of office. And one of the interesting questions is, can impeachment apply to a private citizen after they're out of office? Now, there is some precedent to it, but there also could be a scenario where the Supreme Court justices or uh, Justice Roberts, I should say, could look at that and say, well, that was wrong. So maybe I won't preside over this. So I'm curious what you think could be happening here after Trump leaves office and what they'll do with those articles of impeachment. Yeah, theoretically, there is precedent for it. Uh, Secretary Belknap during the Grant administration he was essentially, there was pretty much razor tight item evidence that he'd accepted that he had been involved in bribery. So he literally, he was Secretary of the War at the time, which later became Secretary of Defense. He resigned in office. Uh, the Senate, said, the House said, no, we're still going to impeach you. So they still impeached him. Then it went to the Senate, and the Senate did not get the requisite two-thirds to convict him. Now, the, the senators who voted, um, who, who voted against conviction, a lot of them said that they believed he was guilty, but they did not believe it was constitutionally permissible to convict somebody who is no longer um, on the government payroll, who is no longer in office. So there certainly is a constitutional question here. It's really never been tried. Um, that's really the only precedent. I know that when Bill Clinton was in, was when Bill Clinton partnered Mark Ritz, who's aforementioned, Arlen Specter, the senator from Pennsylvania, suggested that it was an option that perhaps they could then have impeachment trial, impeachment, and then a potential conviction. Based on that, um, this was in February of 2001 when, it, when there was really kind of an imbroglio affecting Bill Clinton. Um, it never really went anywhere. So the answer is we really don't know. And certainly that will be a constitutional question. And certainly uh, constitutional scholars um, from around the country are certainly going to have a confabulation about it. So is it possible that Chief Justice Roberts decides just not to preside over it? He says, no, I don't think so. Uh, my guess, yeah, I guess, he, I mean, theoretically, you can't force him to preside. Um, my guess is if that did not happen, I would assume, I don't know who it would go to. I don't know if it would go to another justice or if the Senate pro tem would preside, but that certainly would not make, because the chief justice wouldn't preside over it, that does not mean that the trial would not certainly uh, continue. And then, if, by the way, if the, the, if the trial, if they did, do get the requisite two-thirds, meaning that there would be every Democrat plus 17 Republicans then they could do a majority vote, and in the majority, and when an outright majority, that would say that the president could no longer run for any federal office, meaning that he could not run in 2024 or any any future 
uh, presidential plan. So that's really, I think, what they would potentially be potentially be getting at. Now, if if if, Rich, if Donald Trump were to be pardoned by Joe Biden, I mean, certainly this precedent for the last the precedent most people are probably thinking of is when Ford in seventy in seventy four pardoned Richard Nixon. Uh, remember, Gerald Ford had a seventy percent job approval rating the day he the day he before he announced Richard Nixon's job, Richard Nixon's pardon. The next day, it was down to forty eight percent. He never quite recovered. At one point in the summer of nineteen seventy six, he was literally down by thirty six points to Jimmy Carter. He later came back and only lost by about a point, but that would really hurt him politically. A lot of damage, specifically with the liberal base of the Democratic Party, if he were to do that. I mean, I think the argument he would make would be the same make, make that argument that Ford made. Ford said that essentially 25 percent of my time was based on one man, whereas I have to deal with, you know, inflation, I have to deal with um, the oil crisis, I have to deal with, I'd have to deal with getting out of Vietnam, everything else. In, uh, in, in Biden's case, I think that would really hurt him politically, and I can't imagine that scenario. I think could happen. I think it is likely that Joe Biden will find himself one term is enough if that even happens. So I think that there's a pretty strong case that people look at Kamala Harris as somehow maybe even through the first term or maybe in between Joe Biden deciding not to run for reelection. This would set her up. So I think those are two likely things. And if that case, it's a mute point for Joe Biden. He could take the hit if that's what he really wants to do. It's not really about poll numbers at that point. And then with having the support in the House, in the Senate that he has, there's no way that um, there's still not going to be so much infighting unless they completely reject him doing something like that. But let let me offer this scenario. And I don't know if this is even a thing since it's not like, it's like a trial, but it's not a trial. The impeachment Um, could Donald Trump sue to stop the impeachment trial. Like, could he go through the courts in order to prevent that from happening? I think that he probably, yeah. And I think he probably certainly would do that because this has never really been tried in the Supreme Court, and it's only that one precedent that I can think of, and that was 1876. So certainly it's something that he would certainly try to um, argue, um, you know, while yeah. he's working on his library and everything else. But um, my guess is that, it would, it would, is that the Senate would, is that it was something that would still, um, that is still going to occur, that the, the House would just, the House certainly had voted for an impeachment. I mean, this is something very interesting, too. The House voted for impeachment without literally going through the Judiciary Committee. They just, I guess have a, you have a discharge petition. It just goes right to the House, and all 20, 222 Democrats plus 10 Republicans uh, vote for it. And um, even if it does go to the Senate, you know, will they get the potential 17 Republicans to actually vote for, an, for the conviction of Donald Trump? How is it to their political benefit, to their political advantage? So it could just be that he figures, you know what, go to the Senate and then and then not get the two thirds and then go around the country saying, you know, I was vindicated and then run in 2024 and say that this was a sham election, something to that effect. But um, that certainly is one is one legal uh, avenue he could pursue. Wow. This is just all so much that goes on. And what is the punishment if you're out of office? And let's just say, hypothetically, there was enough votes to get the two thirds and the Senate decides on the impeachment. Then what goes on? Like what what punishment would there be for the president? Well, the only the only punishment would be um, I mean, obviously, he'd already be out of office. The only punishment would be the second vote, the requisite second vote. So someone would essentially put would put in in would put up a a resolution in the United States Senate saying that now saying that saying that Donald Trump should no longer be allowed to serve in political office. And that would just need the requisite 50 votes, which it certainly would get. And that would mean that he could not run in 2024. or He could not run in the future. 
So that's basically all that you could get out of um, the possible uh, conviction. So if there is a conviction, is the only way to do that vote is if there's a conviction. So let's say they decide not to convict. Would they still be able to go back and decide on the second side of it? Or do you have to have a conviction in order to yeah. prevent someone from running for office again? My understanding is you absolutely you have to have a conviction. Okay, wow. So what a wild time. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I had some other, um, we were talking about this before, and someone said, do you really want to hold up all of the cabinet positions? And do you want to hold up more stimulus talk? And do you want to hold up coronavirus? Do you want to hold up this and that? And we look at all the other things that are so important right now. If they're going to hand this over and try to start a trial and all of these other things. Wow, there's all this other pressing things. That's why it would make sense for someone like Joe Biden to go in and decide, okay, we're just going to pardon this. Otherwise, could they just hold on to the article forever? Uh, I, I guess theoretically, I mean, I know Jim Clyburn, the Senator, the Congressman from South Carolina has suggested that potentially wait a hundred days and then um, bring it up in the Senate at that time. Cause you know, that's one thing that's very important when a party's a hegemonic, they, you know, essentially can they control the apparatus? So the Senate majority leader will be Chuck Schumer, not Mitch McConnell, so as a result, you know, Chuck Schumer could certainly scuttle it and say, we're going to you know, table it. We're going to put it up at a different time. So hypothetically, that article of impeachment could just sit there on the shelf and they can pull it years from now if they wanted to. Theoretically, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess the, I guess I guess they could do that. Yeah, I guess if they wanted to um, just kind of hold it over him. Um, you know, there has been there have been examples. With, you know, one thing I do know, Andrew Jackson he was censored, not impeached or convicted, but he was censored. But then later on, when his party took over, that censor was essentially expunged. So, um, but I don't think you can actually expunge a conviction. Wow, what a wild time. So, wow, this time just went by so fast. <laughs> now we're going to have the inauguration on Wednesday, and who knows what happens between now and then. I guess by this time next week, when we hook back up, we'll be talking about the first days in office of Joe Biden. And I'm sure that'll be interesting to look back at the first days in office of other past president. So, Rich Rubino, again, if people wanted to look you up online, where can they find you? Yep, just go to Facebook, Rich Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, go to www.polita-geek.com, or go to Twitter and type in Rich Rubino, P-O-L. So good, Rich Rubino. Uh, thank you again for coming on. I love these segments, and I know our listeners love them, too. I really appreciate it. Have a great week. Absolutely. Thank you. You do as well. Richard Bino, he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. It's a Monday night, and it's hard to believe that just a couple of days from now we'll have Joe Biden as president of the United States of America after the inauguration. Just a few more days left of the Trump presidency. As I, I don't know how to properly send off the Trump administration. I like what Larry did earlier where he mentioned things that he was thankful for. Maybe we'll do some of those things on Wednesday night. I don't know all of the different orders that will be signed and what order they'll be signed, but I'm sure there will be some from Joe Biden as soon as that happens. Lindsey Graham was talking about what to expect on Wednesday. Uh, we should expect a peaceful transfer of power. I will be there. I think it's important that I show up and we'll have a new president Wednesday. And if the first thing he does is go back into the Paris Climate Accords, that's a disaster for the U.S. economy. 
The accords basically give China and India a pass on their carbon emissions. And how do you enforce a national mass mandate? So if that's what he's going to lead off with, he's going to going to have a tough rollout of his presidency. Tough rollout indeed. Kevin Clean also looked at what he expects. As I was getting ready to leave the office on Friday afternoon, there was a, there was a report that the My Pillow Man was at the White House. A Washington Post photographer with a long lens snapped a picture of a document he was holding that it was curled over. You could only see half of it, but it seemed to say something about how President Trump should take drastic measures to save the Constitution. Earlier in the day Friday, I saw President-elect Joe Biden on the news talking about vaccines, and his demeanor was confident. He seems ready to go. He seems a lot sharper mentally than he did earlier in the campaign, and I had to wonder if they've given him something to shoo away the cobwebs. Well, many people have the feeling that something big is looming. Something is about to happen. I read the comments on Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's Twitter page, and one woman said she feels like his Twitter page is the last haven for stragglers who used to go to all the other accounts that have been banned. Half the country feels like their team has lost the World Series and the other team cheated. The other half feels that Trump supporters are nuts and they can't wait for the president to leave office. Not knowing what to think, I bought a few gallons of bottled water and put them in the basement on the floor where the basement crickets hop at night. A few weeks ago, I bought some firewood just in case something happens and our only heat source is the fireplace. But who knows? I mean, usually in situations like this, nothing happens. Remember Y2K? Remember the Ivan Browning New Madrid earthquake prediction? Remember the Geraldo Rivero special on Al Capone's vault? I remember four years ago when people were sobbing and taking time off work and college classes were canceled because Hillary Clinton had lost, but life went on, and hopefully life will go on again. Can a living person ever really know what's going on in their own lifetime, or is it up to their children to find out 30 years later when the book comes out? With a whole other story, I'm Kevin Join me on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio. The replay hours are up, and I think you'll enjoy our conversation and a look back in history with Philip Goodrich coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow night at 8. Have a great night. Bye. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.